You're now listening to Fundamental Fast Pitch. All right, everyone. It's Jessica Tanner and Heather Maloney back again for uh, some no-nos on the softball field. Uh, you guys heard us on the last episode talking about outfield no-nos um, with Heather doing a wonderful job of kind of leading that conversation and um, uh, giving me the opportunity to kind of talk through all of the outfield no-nos and tisks and red flags and pet peeves. So today we're going to flip the script. Um, I'll be narrating while Heather answers some questions about infield no-nos. So let's go ahead and jump right into it. Um, today we're on episode 58 with infield no-nos. So Heather, I'm I'm gonna go right at it. This is your this is your specialty because I I just I didn't like the infield at all. I have absolutely nothing to really contribute to this conversation other than what I see like as a coach. So why don't you why don't you go right ahead and take us into the infield no-nos when it comes to like just let's just say making plays. Yeah. Um, and first I'll say that, yes, you do have plenty to add to this. And um, I, I preferred the infield over outfield because not only, not only because I was not really speedy enough to be an outfielder, but um, in the infield, you don't have time to think. Uh, whereas in the outfield, you have plenty of time to think. So that's why I preferred it. Um, so making plays um, I'd say first and foremost, or right up there at the top is, is what we like to call concrete feet. Concrete feet are a big no, no. Um, so that's when you're, standing in one spot, kind of just not moving around, not ready to move, not ready to make a play. Um, it's really, really hard to get your feet moving to go move to a ball and make a play when they are going from uh, completely still um, to a ball being smacked right at you. Um, so preventing the concrete feet would be uh, making sure you're taking your prep steps and reacting to the ball immediately off the bat. Um, let's not wait till the ball is halfway or more to us before we realize, oh, I should be taking a couple steps to the left. Um, if you can if you can recognize where the ball is, the direction the ball is going off of the bat and start moving that direction as soon as possible, you're going to make uh, making plays a whole lot easier. Hmm. So what it sounds like, very similar to outfield, is that you need to be ready for the ball and that your, your first read, your first, first step is your most important. Is that what you're telling me? Absolutely. See, there's so much in common, right? We're already <laughs> finding things. I do. I do have to agree with you though. Like when you said infield, you have no time to react that, that very much like fits like one, you're not scared of anything. So that's very helpful. And I definitely like, I wouldn't say I was scared on the infield, but I definitely was uncomfortable. Um, after getting my nose broke at shortstop and then being stuck in the outfield at the time, um, I didn't really have time to work through kind of that just like uncomfortableness and not wanting to go get the ball. So I don't ever think I could have been a playmaker on the infield like I was on in the outfield. But I also liked the like room to run and the room to read and, and time to react. So I, I, we didn't get a chance to talk about that yesterday, but I do think that's a very valid point on your mention of just like prep steps and not having time to react and just like basically making a play on the ball. Um, let's talk a little bit more about like concrete feet. So because it is a no, no, what are some things that you could do on the infield to not have concrete feet? Yeah. So you got to take your, your prep steps most importantly. Um, and you talked about taking those prep steps in the outfield. Um, your prep steps on the infield, I mean, like we talked yesterday, they're not a whole lot different than what you're going to see in the outfield, but it's going to be, um, I think they're more the of the prep steps as more of a 
more of a choppy kind of step, not not the big long strides. Um, they have to be quick because the ball is going to get to you quick. So um, it, the other thing with the concrete feet and making sure that you're not um, just sitting and waiting on the ball, um, one of those things that kind of kind of goes hand in hand is like you'll find the players that tend to tend to sit back and sit on their heels as they field the ball. They have their glove right between their feet when they go to to, to field it. And that just doesn't put you in a good athletic position to, to one, field the ball, to see the ball into your glove, and then, and then two, to go into making a throw. So, um, you know, fielding the ball with your glove between your feet is is a no-no in my book. It, it doesn't set you up for, for success at all. Yeah. So what Heather's saying is basically making sure it's like squared in this in the center of like your body like right underneath your belly button as opposed to like off to the side unless it's like absolutely necessary uh right it's, Heather, like, that, you it's to- like that triangle drill we've talked about before where your glove is out front in front of your feet i'm talking about you know one of, one of your more routine ground balls like it's it's more or less to you you're it's a couple steps in either direction um you can you can feel that routinely i'm not talking about the ones that you have to kind of go all out for and dive or you know uh backhand or what have you yeah, get out of my head because that's literally what I was about to ask you is what shape <laughs> what shape comes to mind when we talk about fielding ground balls? Um, no, that that makes perfect sense in terms of how you get ready, where you need to be fielding the ball, um, not only in between your feet, but also like out in front of you where your eyes down, you can see it. Um, I want to kind of segue over to that more um, playmaker aspect. We talk about players that our playmakers, they always want the ball. They want to do whatever it takes to get the ball. Um, What would you say, just thinking out loud on being a playmaker, would be a no-no when it comes to, um, like, the play – I guess the plays that, like – I would say the freebies. I think that's a good way to say it. So what I'm talking about is, like, um, your dinker pop-ups or even your, like, your foul balls that are either up in the air or dinkers, like, basically, like, those, those potential freebie outs. What are your thoughts on those? Right. Um, so thinking about foul balls, um, any foul ball in the air, like you're saying, it's a freebie, it's a free out, um, go run and catch it. You know, there's, we, I don't know if we've really talked too much about, we've talked some about fielding foul balls in the air, but, uh, you know, finding the fence and making sure that you're not going to kill yourself by running into the fence is, is an important skill to learn and practice because not going for those foul balls, like we said, are free outs, um, it's a big no-no and it's it's one of those things that if you make a great play on one of those foul balls in the air and um you know everyone goes crazy because we just changed the momentum in the game it could be something that you know the other team might be having might have a rally started to 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 develop um and then they hit a foul ball you know kind of up against the fence and someone goes and steals that out it can totally change the momentum of the game but you know if you if you don't even try for it um, you know, you just lost out on a huge opportunity. Yeah, then, no, for sure. I can even take it one step further. And in, in, in on the foul balls, I'd say even on the, the foul balls on the ground, unless it's clearly very foul, um, let's go ahead and try to make that play. I don't know how many times I have seen a, a bunt in particular, but a grounder look like it's foul ball, like it's a foul ball, but then it hits a rock or something and starts to curve back in to fair territory and vice versa from in from fair into foul. So if it's close um, and you, you know, you don't hear an umpire yell foul ball, which often is the case either they just don't vocalize it or they're not loud enough. 
um, let's go ahead and, and make the play on that foul ball. You never know what, what the umpire is going to end up calling it. And if you don't even go for it and it's a close one, well, you might have just given her first, first base. Yeah, no, that's that's definitely way up high on the list for me, be, mainly because speaking from experience, I can tell you, especially like on a bunt or a slap with me as a lefty, I had so many times that, um, well, I had so many times that I got lucky in which a foul ball came back fair, but I also had one experience where it did not go my way. And that coach was in my ear all the way back to the dugout. And that was the one time <laughs> that I needed that to happen to never do it again. So um, it is definitely, that is something that has stuck with me as a coach too, is just same thing. We talk about creating opportunities and stuff on defense. You also can potentially get lucky or, or maybe you turn a potential single into a double because somebody's not paying attention. So creating opportunities to take extra bases on the other side of the ball is the same thing. Um, right. So on that playmaker aspect, which you guys should know by now is one of my favorite words. Um, we talked about not going for foul balls. Um, Tell me a little bit about just like the mindset that you should have on the infield, especially because of that close reaction time. Like I know we talked about outfielders, whether there's girls on bases or not, they all, they're always moving. They always something to do, always something to be. Is that, is that similar on the infield? Oh, it is so true. So anytime the ball is hit or even, you know, even when the ball is not hit, if, if catcher is trying to do a pickoff or, or something like that, stolen base, um, your infielders, you always have a job. There's, there's no spectating on the softball field, really, in any position. Um, so even if even if you, um, you, you, know, you know, say you're at third base or something and the ball's hit to the right side of the infield, that doesn't mean you just stand there and watch the play develop. Um, <clears throat> you either can go cover your bag, um, you can get ready to uh, do, back up, you know, a secondary play. Um, there's always something for you to do. Um, one of the things that I kind of is it's kind of a in pet peeve territory is when you feel the ball make the throw and then just literally stand there and w- watch things happen um yes you've you've taken a, an important part in that in that um play but your job is not done once you release the ball you need to be ready for the next thing you don't know if if maybe the throw wasn't great or the first base just failed to catch the ball or if there's a secondary player or another runner there's always something something for you to be doing Yeah, no, absolutely. And that's another one that I just like, I don't know if it's softball PTSD or what, but I had a coach when I played high school ball that he would scream across the field like, hey, did you buy a ticket? And like at the time, like everyone was like, what, what is this guy talking about? Right. And then literally he would follow it up, be like, then quit watching the game and start playing. And I'm like, okay, that's what he meant. That's what you mean. So it's, yeah. So it's one of those like, okay, that is also something. If you guys hear me saying that on the field, you know where that comes from. Cause I thought it was so funny. I was like, I know he's not supposed to, like, I know he's not joking, but it was still kind of funny at the time. Um, Okay, so again, on those same lines of being a playmaker, um, Heather, what are your thoughts on like not wanting the ball? And and what I mean by that, that is, let's say, like whether it's a tweener or just a ground ball, um, like not going to get it or even worse, expecting someone else to get it. What Speak on that a little bit. Right. So we talked uh, when we talked outfield, we talked about kind of the tweeners is where we kind of see this happening. But on the infield, it's generally the five, six hole or maybe the, the, the three, four hole of the holes, those kind of deep holes. And when the ball is hit hard um, between the shortstop and third baseman or first base and second baseman, um, those are the ones that kind of are the, I don't know, top offenders for, for thinking someone else is going to make that play. Um, If, if I'm on a corner and 
I think I can get to the ball. Um, I need to go ahead and, and make the make the effort to try to make that play. Um, on the left side of the infield, um, oftentimes, you know, your shortstop could maybe make that play, um, a ball in the hole there, but you got to think about it. Um, nearly every shortstop is right-handed, which means that they're going to have to plant and um, throw from deep in the hole, um, which makes which is a really hard make play to make <clears throat> when they are going hard um, to their right um, to field that ground ball. Uh, so if, if I'm a third baseman, I'm going to cut off anything I can. My momentum was already moving towards the left, towards first base. Um, so it will be easier for me to go ahead and, and get into throwing position and make a good throw. Um, I think on the right side of the infill, what we kind of run into a lot is um, a first baseman on a ball hitting the 3-4 hole thinking, oh, no, I've got to cover my my base to make the out. Um, and, and that often leaves um, a lot of ground balls that – maybe necessarily aren't even hit very hard, but they um, they make it through the infield on the right side because um, your second baseman is, isn't quite there yet um, or or it gets to them too slowly to to make a play on on that runner. Um, so those first basemen need to play the position first and understand that um, if the if the ball pulls them too far to their right, then their second baseman should be covering first base for them. And that's where communication comes into play also is making sure that, um, everyone knows where everyone else is on the field, who's covering. Um, there's that spatial awareness, again, that we sometimes talk about, um, knowing kind of where people are around you and how far um, maybe the ball is taking you off the bag. So, you know, if you need to, you know, toss to your second baseman or if you can still make that play on your own. Yeah. And I think um, I know the the left side of the field, those plays tend to happen more often just because there are a greater number of righty hitters than there are lefty hitters. And that's like your power pull side. But the the that play you just talked about that in between like the first and second, that's the one that always irks me because most of the time when I see it happen, at least at the age that I'm coaching right now, um, it's like it's not even like an effort thing. It's maybe one or two extra steps and you're you're, you're not only probably saving a run if you have a runner at second or third or whatever, but you're also just getting it out. And a lot of times you can also get that out that gets us off the field. So that one definitely sticks out to me. Um, the, the big, the last thing that kind of comes to mind on infield no-nos, at least right now, I'm sure there's more that we will continue to think about and we can always come back and get you guys another episode, but um, let's talk about, um, the pitchers and catchers for a little bit. And we talked about, um, uh, and one of our most recent episodes, um, the difference between someone that can pitch or can catch and being a pitcher or a catcher. And a lot of that, like anything softball related for a, a true, like good next level athlete is between the ears. Um, talk to me a little bit about, uh, like pitcher catcher, no, nos. Um, so one of the ones that comes out to mind, you know, right to mind, especially with the younger, um, ages where, you know, pitching, catching it, not to say that it's not developed, but it's still developing and, um, that, uh, the skills, you know, they're hard skills to learn and to master. So there's still a lot of wild pitches and pass balls. Um, so <laughs> it's, it's pretty, um, irksome when, you know, you have a, say a wild pitch with a runner on third base and, either the pitcher is just kind of, you know, upset with herself for, for making the wild pitch or, um, you know, they're just kind of in their head a little too much and not aware of the situation and they don't go cover home. Uh, you know, the catcher has been hopefully trained to 
to go hard after those and, and make a play on those and try to make the out at home. And if there's nobody covering home once, once we get to the ball, um, well, that's a lot of effort for a whole lot of nothing. You know, we don't even have a chance to make an out at the plate and those can be some huge, huge plays. Um, I'd say it's not, you know, depending on your field, the situation, how the backstops, uh, you know, situated, they're not generally a real high percentage out play. Um, but when we do make those outs, they are huge. They can totally change the, the, the play, the, the momentum in the game and um, just not covering home, uh, whether it's an effort thing or a focus thing, it's just, it's really not acceptable. And, and on the flip side, you know, the catcher needs to be able to quickly get up from her squat, go make a play on that ball. And if it's not something that's being practiced, it really needs to be practiced. Yeah. And I'm going to expand on that one a little bit. Um, like you said, the percentage of outs at home probably isn't that high, but man, does that momentum shift whenever you do get the out. So that can really be an opportunity to truly like change the pace of the game. Um, I want to actually add a little bit in terms of the pitcher no-nos and not holding your runners on. Um, uh, as a coach, like I know that a pitcher is engaged and paying attention and focused and in the zone when they're getting the ball back from the catcher, they're, they're um, taking a peek at their lead runner, they're looking around the bases, making sure everybody's back and nobody's trying to take an extra base or delay steal on them. So um, that's another one of those kind of softball IQ, um, playmaker, pitcher, like the mentality thing that um, really, really is a no-no for me is pitchers that don't like pay attention. That that goes also for catchers too. The catchers have just as much responsibility in, in holding those runners on. Um, you know, if if you have runners on and you never once take a peek at them, a peek at the runner and let them know that you see them and you know what they're doing over there, then they you will be taken advantage of. Agreed. Absolutely. <laughs> so let's uh, let's j- jump on over to Coach Heather's favorite. Um, let's talking about let's talk. Sorry about some infield no nos when it comes to throwing. Um, I, I'm sure we could go on and on about this, but there are a few main ones that really come to mind. Um, Heather, why don't you walk us through a few uh, throwing no nos? Yeah. So um, yeah, you're right. Um, you, you know, I love to throw, uh, so yeah, this is a good one for me. (laughs) Um, so forcing a throw, whether that's, whether that's you, you feel the ball and you go to make the transfer and you just have no grip or you, uh, your feet are not set, um, or, or maybe you're just your, your upper half and lower half are just not synced up and your timing is all off. Um, let's not go ahead and force that throw because we're not, when you have any of those things going on, uh, your percentage of, of making a, a good throw goes goes way, way down. Um, so there are, I mean, I'm not suggesting we don't try to make a play on one of the, in, in those circumstances, but we need to know how to, how to um, make the adjustment to where we can get that good grip or make sure our feet are set up to make a good throw. Um, so if you find yourself with, you know, in a situation where you really want to go ahead and make that play, but you're not set up to make the throw, take those, that extra right, left, get your feet set make sure you have a grip on the ball, make sure everything is synced up and then fire it over there. You're going to make a much harder throw, much more accurate throw anyway, just by giving that extra, extra right, left with your feet to get everything all synced up and ready to go. Um, forcing the throw almost always leads in, into uh, either an airmail or just completely bouncing it, you know, totally off target. Um, and it makes it really, really hard on whoever you're throwing to, to, 
to make that play um, and receiving that throw. Yeah. And so I think on infield, especially a lot of times you're going to see more errant throws go high than low. So I know we talked about it on outfield, but just making sure that if you're going to miss, you're you're over-exaggerating, pulling that ball down, missing low to at least give your other like teammates an opportunity to try to make a play on the ball, whether they're picking it, scooping it, grabbing it for a tag, whatever it is. Um, and then also I think that softball IQ plays a little bit into this, um, this particular topic on forcing a throw. So knowing like when you have time, to like make those adjustments and when like you just gotta like roll with it or if you don't have a play hold the ball so um like for example knowing the speed of your runner um if you're playing in less than ideal conditions so like muddy muddy fields or playing through the rain or the mist so um just kind of knowing uh what the situation is and whether you actually have a play to make so um i think that kind of leads us into our next one I'll, i'll feel free to jump in and cover this one other but like infield no-nos, when there's no play, there should be no throw. You get that ball back to the pitcher, um, you end whatever play is going on, and it's on to the next one. And then you allow your catchers and your defense to kind of make a play if the runner happens to get on base. But um, what happens and when there's not a play, then um, typically, like more times than not, either you're going to make a throw when there's no play and it's going to give – the other base runners an opportunity to advance if they're reading the ball correctly, or you're going to start throwing the ball around and that can never end up well. So <laughs> Heather, tell us about that. Cause we, we saw that quite a few times this past weekend. Right. Um, yeah, totally agree. When there's no play, hold the ball. You can, I mean, we don't even, depending on the situation, don't even always need to throw it into your pitcher. You can control the runners. You can walk it in, you can toss it to her. Um, you know, there are ways to get around, um, taking the chance of throwing the ball around. So um, like you mentioned, oftentimes in the infield, when there's a, an errant throw, it tends to be high um, with, with the ball thrown high, there's not a whole lot our teammates can do about it. Um, we can only jump so high and um, almost always it ends up being an overthrow and then somebody's chasing after it. Hopefully our backups are in place and they can get the ball in quickly, but, but if we can avoid having to do that period, then that's best case scenario. Um, so throwing the ball around, uh, you know, it, it starts usually with with one bad throw, but then whoever ends up, you know, whether it's the backup or maybe first base hustles after and gets it, it tends to snowball into another bad throw and another bad throw and another bad throw. And as a coach sitting, uh, you know, in, in the dugout on my bucket, I'm just like, you just throw your hands like, when is this going to stop? Somebody pick up the ball and stop throwing it. You know, we have to take a breath make sure that we can, you know, keep, maintain our composure, make a good throw, get the ball in, let's end this play, stop the bleeding, and we'll move on. Um, yeah, throwing the ball around is a huge, huge no-no. And I'll actually take a, um, stepping back to throwing when there is no play, I'll, I'll take it the other way and say not throwing when there is a play. And the situation that comes to mind is, um, you know, player hits the ball, um, there's no real play on her, so we don't, you know, don't try to make the out on her, but she takes a huge, huge, she rounds the base huge. Um, and we don't try to pick her off. Uh, in that situation, if I, if I'm confident in my arm and I feel like I can make good throws, then I need to throw that ball. And it's, it's, it's a, it's almost like the, the foul balls, um, in the air and not going after them. Those can be free outs, especially when the base runner is being careless. 
um, not really paying attention. Um, you see that a lot with the younger ones, especially. Hopefully, as they get a little bit older, the base running gets a little bit um, more heady and, and they're more aware of what's going on. But, um, you know, if, if that runner is getting a huge lead or rounds the bag too far and it is, is in no man's land, we need to practice that because it's hard to recognize when, you know, how far off the bag is, is far enough to make an out. But um, those are some free outs that we should be taking advantage of. Yeah, that's actually a really, really good ad, Heather. And I'm going to take it just one more step further and kind of throw you a curveball here. So let's say um, we, we always talk about creating opportunities, whether it's outs or extra bases. Um, we talked a little bit about throwing when there is no play. And we talked about not throwing when there it not throwing when there is a play or a potential opportunity. What's something that you can do as a defender where maybe you bobble the ball and you can't get her at first, or um, maybe you got extra runners on and you don't even have a shot at first because she's stupid fast, but maybe you got a runner at third. What's something that you can do to create opportunities to get an out? So this play was one of my favorites um, when I played third base. And, um, you know, it, it can either be run as, as a play or it can be one of those situations where you you just bobbled it. And you, you, you don't have a chance at the, at the runner going to first. Um, and that's making a fake throw. Um, fake it over to first and see if you, that draws off that runner at third base. Um, when I say fake, um, it needs to look real. So there were plenty of times where I would get back in the dugout from making one of those plays. And uh, my coaches would be like, Oh, I thought you were actually, I thought you actually threw that ball. I got scared. Cause I didn't, we couldn't let that runner third score. Um, so it needs to look real. It needs to be hard. Your first baseman needs to be a little bit worried that the ball is coming to them. Yeah. So that's um, Heather's talking about a pump fake. So where you basically like pump, like you're going to make a throw and then very quickly turn and try to make a short, like dart throw, to um, a base on a runner, maybe biting on, on the fake. Um, right. And on that, on that um, pump fake, um, I see a lot of players think that they have to get turned towards that runner. They're trying to draw off so quickly that it, it makes their pump fake um, not look real. Uh, so just know, like you have plenty of time as you know, to actually complete the pump fake and then turn and find that runner because that runner, unless she just, you know, her, her play was to just take the, take home um, off the bat. You have time. She's going to, she was, she's getting a lead. She's going to get either fooled by the pump fake or, you know, take one stutter step. And then you have a chance to get to back pick her at three. Um, you have time. So don't rush it. Make sure that you take your time and you're able to complete that pump fake and make it look real. Yeah. And where I don't want to get into like the nitty gritty of the situational um, awareness, but just know that if your coach is listening to this, um, help encourage your players, one, to do that, to create opportunities, but also teach them when's the right time, when's not the right time. Anytime we've got two outs, if it's a clean field, you guys know we're going to first base. But um, like I said, I think that would be best applied if they're if there isn't a play, whether you bobble, she's fast, whatever it is, to create an opportunity to maybe draw um, draw that runner off the bag. Um, uh, okay, so we talked about being playmakers and softball IQ. We talked about some throwing. Um, we say that I think I think Heather, I'm going to call this the best for last because I know this is the the one that irks me when I'm standing in coaching practice and we're watching the girls work and throw the ball and make tags and. I, I have yet to figure out a language that 
makes <laughs> sense and connects with, with what I'm telling my players because it hasn't clicked yet on a bunch of these, these um, infield no-nos. But guys, I'm specifically talking about tags. So like what I mean by tags is not tagging on the bases, but infielders that are either tagging or, or not tagging um, on plays on the infield. So um, Heather, I'm going to let you just roll with this one so I can just listen. <laughs> You know, you're so right. And I don't know why, but this seems to be one of the most difficult things for players to either. I don't even know if it's an understanding thing or maybe it's just a, I don't know, thinking in the moment, making sure that they, you know, they're really aware of the situation. I really don't know what it is because you're right. It is one of the things that is like it lingers for the longest um, and it takes forever. It seems like for many, many players to for this to really, really click in their heads. And that's like, when we have a force play, we don't also need to make a tag, um, make that force play, step on the bag, look for the next play. Uh, if, if there are no other runners, that's fine. We don't also, we don't need to also tag the runner. She's already out. It's over with it's done. Let's complete the play, get the ball back to pitcher. Um, it seems so simple. And like you're saying the, like we're somehow we're not, we're not um, communicating this concept in the right way because it, it happens a lot and it's it's I don't know it's it lingers forever it seems like and then um on on the other side where it's it, it is a tag play um but knowing the the situation and, and that when you make a tag play your foot does not also need to be on the base like you can come off the base you don't need to be in contact with the base it's only a tag glove or a ball and glove hopefully covered up make the tag on the on the runner and that is the play um, so many times, um, especially when there's a player covering a bag and they're like waiting for the ball, it's not like a bang, bang where I'm running to cover and the, here comes the ball already. But like, if I am, have time to go back, cover, wait for the ball, it seems like, um, that fielder feels the, the urge or the need to maintain contact with that bag, even if the throw is offline and maybe it would be better if I, you know, moved my feet and fully got my body in front of it to make sure it doesn't get by me that one there um I don't know it just lingers forever and um if, if anybody has any suggestions on how to communicate this concept uh please share because we are all ears it's 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 like it's not even like infuriating to me anymore it's like comical. I just can't understand it is comical I can't understand how we cannot get this point across or and I just, I don't know why it, it, it holds on for so long. It just doesn't make any sense to me. So I don't, Heather, I actually don't know if you have seen this or not. If if not, I'm going to send it to you. But um, it always makes me think of, there's like an Instagram meme or something that's going around and it's a mom and she's cooking in the kitchen and she's got like this big old pot of hot water and she's holding it on the side with mitts and she's like giving it to her teenage son Um uh, and to uh, to do something or whatever and she literally just says hey it's hot on the bottom and the son goes to like put his hands like right <laughs> on the bottom of the pot and so she pulls the pot and she's like it's hot on the bottom like slows it down looks <laughs> yes. him in the eyes tells it and like again he goes to grab underneath and so she pulls it away and then I'm I'm gonna save the explicits for y'all but it was she was like it's <laughs> blank blank hot on the blank blank bottom and the kids <laughs> eyes are like wide and it's like how do you not get it and, and it's one of those that, that is, like 
I don't know why, right but for, to me, that is always how I feel when I'm, when I'm trying to teach <laughs> tags and stretching and force plays and, and all of that stuff. <clears throat> that's a pretty good example. Yeah, that's, that's, that's pretty right on. I mean, I just, <laughs> I'm going to find it. It seems like, choice. it seems like explaining it should be enough. Um, just like with the hot pot, but, um, for some reason, it's not, and I, I, I really need some help uh, finding what works why. to explain. Yes, <laughs> goodness. So, so just to kind of simplify um, some infield no-nos on the tag. So, if there is a force play, so obviously a runner that is being forced to go to the next bag. Um, typically, you want to, unless the runner's running in front of you, obviously that would be an, an opportunity to like tag the runner and then go make another play. But we're talking specifically about balls that are like either thrown or right at the like the bag where the force is and you're tagging a runner on a force play instead of just tagging the bag or maybe even both like heather said right and then same so you've thing already made the out yeah you've already made the out on the force play and we're also following that up with tagging the runner that's what we're talking yeah. about you know what maybe it's just <laughs> to be sure just in case yeah <laughs> Uh, and then on that, on kind of flip the the script on that one, then stretching on a tag play. So let's say, for example, you got a runner that's stealing from second to third and you've got catcher that's throwing the third base and you've got third baseman foot on the bag, errant throw, they're stretching out, trying to hold on to it. Like, like they're glued to the bag or something instead of recognizing and knowing, Hey, I leave my bag, get the ball and then find the runner. Right. Um, so I, just knowing the difference between the two. And then obviously like, we talk about tags on a force play. Let's say you're playing first or their position. If the throw takes you offline, then it becomes like a tag, even though there's a force still on. This is mainly speaking to balls that are thrown like right at the bag and you still are not. You're doing both. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then lastly, we've got in our notes here, we have holding a tag, but I'm going to, I'm going to, um, call a little bit of an audible and just broaden it to um waiting for the umpire to make a call um and that could be um on holding a tag on a runner say on a on a steal or something and you and there are other runners especially when there are other runners on 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 the bases and you know I, I go to make a tag and um tagger and I'm waiting I hold the tag on the runner and wait for the umpire to make a call um, it doesn't really matter how long I hold that tag on there. The umpire has already made his mind up and there are other things going on. I need to, I need to, I already made that play. I need to move on from it. I need to go make a secondary play, uh, hold a, hold a runner where they are, whether I throw the ball is irrelevant. Um, I have to go control a runner or make a play on another runner. Um, so holding a tag on a runner is a big, big no, no. You're losing out on opportunities um, and the same goes for, uh, even force plays. Um, a lot of times, uh, I think that's where that sort of secondary tag on that force play that we're just talking about comes from is I think, especially with the younger ones, they'll make the force play, but if they don't hear the umpire immediately say out, they think, oh, well, he wasn't sure, or he didn't see it, or I need to make sure that this girl is out and they'll go ahead and try to make a tag as well. Um, but the for the, the force play is already made. We don't need to to wait for the umpire to make that call. Um, he's either going to make the call out or he's going to make it safe. It really doesn't matter. Holding that there or making that tag the second time is not going to change his call. Um, <clears throat> and whatever the case may be, we always want to go on, go on and, and control runners or make secondary plays. Yeah. And I think honestly, talking through that a little bit, to me, it kind of 
does more harm than good when you're holding a tag or on a runner holding for that call because I mean I'm trying to think of it from a coach or an out or like an umpire perspective if that infielder sure they made the out and then they're looking for the next one so to me it kind of portrays like some uncertainty like you want to make sure he sees it or you want to make sure it's the out rather than knowing okay I got you and then I'm, I'm going to look for the next one no, you're absolutely right. And, you know, like we've talked about before, umpires are not perfect. They don't see everything. And just like um, we talked about with catchers making, you know, get it, having a relationship with the umpire behind the plate and not, you know, trying to get every pitch called to strike. Um, you know, if we move confidently through these plays that we're making um, and you have a, re- I mean, even all fielders can have a, a respectful relationship with any umpire. So if you're respectful throughout the game, you confidently move through making a play, making a tag, wherever, wherever it may be. Um, you know, if they're not sure, you know, you might get the call if you just confidently move through it. But if you're questioning yourself and showing him that by holding that tag on the runner or waiting for him to make a call, you know, you're throwing doubt in his mind. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, And especially like, I know it's harder at the younger ages, but it's more important at the younger ages because at that level, you're not exactly getting the, the top tier umpire. So (laughs) they're probably out of position. They're probably out of shape. Like, so, um, that's one of those where I think that the confidence and, and that can really, really help. Um, because again, like I just, I think the surety really helps kind of decide that for the umpire too, who also may be unsure. Okay, so we talked about outfield uh, no-nos on our last episode. This is episode 58, infield no-nos. We included some pitcher and catcher stuff in there. Um, Again, I'm sure we will come up with more um, probably right after we end this episode. And we're like, man, we should have talked about that. I know that's typically how it works. But if you guys have any any other ideas or comments or feedback, um, we always like to be able to expand and kind of go back and reference or reach out to you and talk through any questions that you guys might have about the things that we're talking about. So um, like I said, if you have anything that to add to this, please reach out to us either through the website, Facebook, email, whatever, whatever is easiest. Um, this has been episode 58. Next we'll, we'll be joining you guys for episode number 59, the importance of a strong athletic stance. Um, that's going to be imperative throughout every part of the game and, and other sports as well. So Um, Join us next time. Uh, This has been Jessica Tanner with Heather Maloney on the Fundamental Fast Pitch Podcast, and we will talk to you again soon.